please um, turn in your Bibles um, this morning to Genesis chapter 6, where um, even in Genesis, um, we'll turn our eyes uh, upon Jesus, as we'll see uh, in a minute. We've been, um, we've been looking at some uh, very early stories in the Bible, where right from the beginning, go figure, people want different things than what God wants for them. Can you imagine? Anybody ever want something um, that uh, maybe God doesn't want for you? Okay, now everybody else put your hand up because you're not being honest. (laughs) That happens to me like every day. And um, our goal in this series is uh, in looking at these stories, these inspired real stories that we might learn from uh, those situations when in our turn uh, we want things uh, similar to what they wanted but what God didn't want for them. Um, Your Bibles are open uh, to Genesis chapter 6 where um, this morning's old story is uh, the story of Noah and the flood. Uh, You'll find it Chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. So this morning we're going to read through all four chapters. <laughs> just kidding. I just wanted to see how that would hit you. Um, we won't read through all four. I think, um, I think Noah and the flood, it's one of those stories, whether it's your first time ever in a church or whether you've been in church all your life, you know, you've probably heard of that story. But I will give you an assignment, since we're going to cover this story this week and next week. Um, Would you sometime this week read through that story, Genesis 6 and then into uh, Genesis chapter 9? Um, That'll help prepare you for next week, uh, even as maybe you review uh, what we talk about uh, this morning. But most people know the story of Noah and the flood, Uh, certainly with the floodwaters rising around here. Uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks. I mean, how many of you, ha- have, you uh, of you have heard, uh, you know, even on the radio or on TV newscasts, that, the, you know, this flood is of biblical proportions, right? Have you heard that? And um, I was uh, listening to uh, sports talk radio once as I was driving along. Yeah, I confess I listen to sports talk radio sometimes. And um, those... <laughs> Uh, the, the two disc jockeys or sports talk hosts brought it up and I'm sitting there shaking my head and smiling because those knuckleheads kept talking about Moses and the ark. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I kept waiting for you know, them to correct themselves because you know the, the on-air talent always has something in their ear. So I figured someone in that station is going, it's Noah, it's Noah, it's Noah. But no, for five minutes it was, boy, we got to see what Moses in the ark would do, is what they were. At least they were in the ballpark, maybe. They, they were close. But, uh, um, so we won't read the whole story this morning. I trust you'll do that uh, this week uh, in your own time. If you would, please, I know God will bless it uh, if you do, because he promises his blessing when we spend time with him in and through his word. But I will read at least the first part in Genesis chapter 6. I'm beginning at verse 9. You can follow along if you like. This is the account of Noah. 
Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And it's important as we get into, again, this story uh, to realize and to note here that what's about to happen in this flood, unlike the recent flood, but what's about to happen in this biblical flood, humanity brought it down upon themselves. It was their choices that led to the flood. You know, the ultimate result of moral decay, the ultimate inevitable result of moral corruption is destruction. And the people brought this destruction upon themselves. And I would dare say, you know, unless the language is here is, is merely poetic, but even if it's poetic, it's really trying to drive home a point I don't know if there was more evil on the earth ever than at the time of the flood. You say, why do you say that? Earlier in the chapter, if you've got your Bibles, you can see where it says that every inclination of every person was only evil all the time. Wow! And I'm sure you recognize and note together with me in this world today there's evil, yes? But would you say that in this world today that the inclination of every person's heart is only evil all the time? No, I wouldn't say that, not by a long shot, would you? But that's what's going on here. And so God said to Noah, Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. The Hebrew word for ark is teva, or teva. Say teva. You see it there on the screen. Say teva. It's the same Hebrew word, interestingly enough, that next appears in a different story, one that you probably know too. The baby Moses when he was placed in the Nile to float and to be saved. He was placed in a, take a wild guess, teva. Your English uses the word basket there to better capture its size. But both are teva. Teva talks of a a ship that is rudderless, uh, no sail, uh, entirely dependent on where the water takes them, or in this context here, entirely dependent on God. Both Noah and his family and those animals and Moses were placed in a teva. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, God says to Noah. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. It's football season, so picture a football field's length and add another half a football field. That's how long this thing was. It's about as wide as half a football field, 
and then about 15 yards high. Can you picture it? This is one long, wide, low-riding, rudderless vessel that God asks Noah to make. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. It's going to get really wet. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Well, <laughs> remarkable story, isn't it, to say the least? Noah, um, that was quite a day for Noah, can you imagine? You know, we've heard the story before, and yeah, we know the story, but boy, hear it again with ears for the first time if you can. Can you imagine if you were Noah and God came and told you to do these things, to build an ark, to gather or prepare the ark for God bringing a pair of every animal. And then with all your spare time you have left, go get food. Food for both you and your family and these animals and put it on the ark. And then by the way, the world is going to be destroyed. My goodness, what would you do? How would you react today if God came to you today and gave you this message? We know he won't because he won't destroy the world by flood again. But how would you react? What's remarkable throughout the flood story and the verses we read and throughout the story when you read it this week, what's remarkable to me is Noah is remarkably silent through all of this. All we read is that Noah obeyed, but... I wonder how he was feeling about this. I wonder if one day uh, when we can all ask Noah, you know, if he, if he said anything to God about all of this, and perhaps the writer just didn't record it, because I would have had some questions. How about you? And not a word from Noah. One, um, one great theologian in particular um, put together an imagined possible dialogue that took place between God and Noah. I've got it on video. I'm going to show that to you in a minute. And of course, um, we can't say whether it's completely accurate or not, but I'm showing it to you because I think there's a good chance that it captures the essence, at least, of, of what Noah might have been feeling that day as God outlined the end of the world and outlined what it was that Noah had to do, these radical things. And I know I might react this way um, that uh, this dialogue captures. And so as you watch, ask yourself if this might have been your reaction too. 
the great theologian that put this together, his name is Bill Cosby. And in this video, which, um, in this video, which is as nearly as old as the story of the flood, um, Cosby gives, gives us um, his guess uh, at how Noah reacted. How about you? Let's watch. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk to you about a fellow by the name of Noah who uh, built an ark. Now, everybody knows, you, we ask you a question, say, what did Noah do? They say, well, he built an ark. But very few people know about the actual conversation that went on between the Lord and Noah. You see, Noah was a carpenter, and he was in his rec room sawing away, making a few things for the home there. Vuba, 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 Noah. Vuba, 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 Noah. Who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Where are I? What do you want? I've been good. I want you to build an ark. Right. <laughs> What's an ark? Go out into the woods, collect all of the animals in the world by twos, and make the ark out of cubits, 80 cubits, 40 cubits, 30 cubits. Right. <laughs> What's a cubit? <laughs> Let's see, a cubit. I used to know what <laughs> Well, don't worry about that. Just go out and collect all those animals by twos, male and female, and put them into the ark. Right. <laughs> Who is this really? <laughs> What's going on? How come you want me to do all these weird things? I'm going to destroy the world. Right. <laughs> Am I on candid camera? <laughs> How are you going to do it? Want to make it rain for a thousand days and drown them out? Right. <laughs> Listen, do this, you'll save water. Let it rain for 40 days and 40 nights and wait for the sewers to back up. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so what do you think? Does Noah, does Noah capture a bit at least of what he might have been thinking when God came to him? Boy, he captures some, uh, a bit of what I would have been thinking. I, and I think why, uh, the reason why I think Noah might indeed have been feeling at least along those lines is something that um, experts in every study of humanity all affirm. And that is, people don't like change. 
We're creatures of habit. Our tendency is not to rock the boat. Ha ha. We prefer what's known and more certain to us than the unknown or the uncertainty or the discomfort of something new, especially something radically new. Our tendency is to stay the course. Now, sometimes that tendency serves us well. But I'm talking about those times this morning in the I Want series where that tendency doesn't because while people don't like to change, God is all about and desperately wants to bring about renewal and transformation and change. And when those two wants collide, there's a problem. And we see in the story of the flood, I think especially, God's deep desire to renew and recreate and make everything new. He wants it so badly to be perfect and best, his creation. He wants it so badly, and you see it in the flood story. Have you ever noticed? Take a look. When you read through the flood story, those four chapters, have you ever noticed how many echoes in the flood story there are of Genesis 1 and 2? Whole phrases picked out of Genesis 1 and 2 in the flood story. Humanity's evil has, has undone largely or uncreated God's good creation. Throughout the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2, for example, do you remember? God looks and he sees his creation is good. And in the flood story, God looks and sees that it's bad. It's not good. And the water that God had separated between earth and sky in Genesis 1 and 2, now when the flood story is, is reunited as waters from the deep and the floodgates of heaven are open, creation being undone. And so as God recreates and renews, he begins with Noah. If you take a look at the genealogy list in Genesis 5 and do the math, Noah just happens to be the very first man born after Adam dies. A second Adam, a second father of humanity, walking with God just like Adam and Eve did. Noah, like Adam, each of them had three sons, one of them who uh, didn't turn out very well and had a real struggle with sin. The echoes of creation are all over the story of God's recreation and renewal in the flood. The classification of animals and land and birds and everything that moves around, along the ground are mentioned again, as is the provision of food for them to eat. The ark is really established as the new Garden of Eden, where Noah and his family now live in harmony with the animals. God's wind or spirit, same Hebrew word, ruach. God's wind and spirit that called order from the water during Genesis 1 and 2 in creation is back again in the flood. 
sweeping back the floodwaters and calling order again after the flood's all over. Plant life returns again as the waters recede. If you remember the story, you will when you read it, in the beak of that dove, vegetation again comes, reminding us again of creation. Dry land appears from the water. And then, after God's recreation and renewal are complete in the flood, listen to the words that God says to Noah and his sons as humanity starts over. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Hmm, does that sound familiar? The exact phrase that God said to Adam and Eve when creation was complete. And in case we miss the intended echo of creation in the flood, following the creation story are all those lists of Adam and Eve's descendants in Genesis 4 and 5. And sure enough, following the flood story are the lists of Noah and his son's descendants in Genesis 10. God's heart, God's passion to renew and to transform, to make it better, to make it perfect. And in the face of God wanting that, when what I want is to resist change, when what I want is rather just to conform, where I want conformity, God wants transformation. And you know, Noah had a decision to make in the face of God's desire to renew, didn't he? His request to build this massive ark and all the rest with the animals and the food, and get, it had to have challenged his own human resistance to change. But to his great credit, he accepted God's desire to renew, pushing aside his own reluctance. And the question I have for all of us this morning, beginning with me, is all of us, I think, face the same challenge all the time, every day. It may not be an ark that God is asking you to build, but he is asking you even far more radical change. What, what is it in your life that God wants to renew? What is it? I mean, his overall desire for us to love God and love others, have you ever paused to think of how radical that is? Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Wow, that is a radical change and goes clearly against the current of world culture. And when we're just getting our arms around that, he hits us with, and love everybody as yourself. That is radical. It makes Noah's Ark look like a tinker toy, what God asks of us. What is it in your life that God is asking you to change? Maybe it involves a relationship. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands. Is there something there that God wants to renew in you? Kids to parents, parents to kids. Is there something in that relationship that God wants to transform? And if there is, are you resisting it? Or are you allowing God to work that transformation you know God's not um, ever going to try to renew the world again by destroying it he promised he wouldn't but he is nevertheless still trying to renew the world 
But here's the thing. It's not through a flood this time. His plan is to do it through us. And in order for him to do that, to renew the world through us, we need to allow him to renew us first, be renewed ourselves. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Earlier, the church in Corinth, he wrote, and we are, get this, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. Wow! You want to talk about a radical change for me, I'll let you decide for yourself. You want to, a, a radical change for me is God wants to transform me into the likeness of Jesus. Wow! That's amazing. That's radical. That's Ooh, that sounds hard, and what's that going to be like, and I don't know if I can do it. And, but that's what his heart's desire is for us, for his people. And he does it for us, sure. Who doesn't want to be like Jesus just for themselves? But that's not the primary reason, in my opinion, he does it, because our salvation is secure, even as we grow into more and more being like Jesus. So why, what's his real heartbeat for wanting us to be transformed into the likeness of his son? In my opinion, his real heartbeat is for those who don't know him yet. For those around us. Be transformed, brothers and sisters in Christ, so that you in your turn with God can transform others in the world. He's still desperately trying to renew. And the question is, will we let him? You know, I, um, I look around the room, and you know what I see in the room this morning? I see lots of tavaz. Or in Hebrew, lots of tevaot, lots of arcs. Getting dangerously close to beginning to preach next week's sermon, so I'll stop soon, I promise. But look at all the tevaot in here. Go ahead, look around. It's like in church, you like look ahead. Don't look too shy. Look at all the tevaot just bobbing around in these red, in the Red Sea, ha <laughs> ha. You are all, we are all Teva Oak, we're arcs. And guess what? People sometimes come to me and they long for the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve got to walk with the Lord. And we read here again in Noah's story that Noah got to walk on the Lord. Oh, wouldn't that have been amazing to walk with the Lord like that? We are! We do get to walk with the Lord. Because in all of these tevaot in here, guess who resides? God. No, someone said a hippopotamus, but no. <laughs> God is in you. You are the Garden of Eden walking with the Lord. Sometimes I don't think we realize that. And all these tevaot, each teva and all these tevaot together, oh my goodness, God seeking to transform us into the likeness of his son so that we can stop looking at the empty backs of these red seats 
and we can impact the world because we have room here to spare. Have you noticed to share the amazing things that God has given us here? And he seeks to transform us, not just for our own, oh, isn't it great to be with the Lord, and isn't it great to be transformed? Yeah, that's just awesome. And look at the world out there. They stink. Hate to be them. No, he seeks to transform us so that we can share it with the world and renew the world with God. He wants to do that through us. And the question is, as you read through the flood story, maybe ask yourself, what areas in your life does God want to renew and transform? What sin, maybe, that you've been wrestling with and you found it easier just not to deal with it and just to kind of live with it because, well, that's easier. It's less scary in some ways because what if I fail if I try to change it? And what, what is it that God wants to renew in you? And are you resisting it? And if you are, can you lay down your resistance and allow God to bring his healing power and to transform you for your own benefit? Sure, wouldn't it be great not to have to deal with that sin anymore? But also so God can better use you to renew and transform the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for preserving for us this amazing story and Father, we can um, perhaps feel in ourselves um, what Noah felt like when you came requesting such radical change. Father, give us the same humility. Give us the same trust. Give us the same ability Noah had to push aside our human tendency to resist and to conform and to accept and allow you to do even the most radical change that you wish to do in us, making us just like Jesus. And in doing that, Father, would you use us in mighty, mighty ways to, in our turn, partnering with you, bringing transformation to the world and to those who don't know you yet. Father, we love you. I just pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction this morning? <clears throat> the apostle John has a vision, and he sees Jesus seated on the throne in heaven. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it became even more so when Mel Gibson, in his movie, The Passion of Christ, put these words on Jesus' lips even as he was dragging the cross to be crucified. John saw them in a different context in his vision as Jesus was sitting on the throne. And John writes, hear these words as God's blessing this morning. He who was seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. Write it down. 
because these words are trustworthy and true. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you all.